going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we are continuing our series of what does it look like to find your identity uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, How do we know who we are? How do we know if we are to be asked, who are you? What is our response? Who are you? Uh, But more importantly, as we went through last week, who does God say that you are? You are his child, and, and hopefully in your community groups you're able to spend time going through the different passages uh, discussing who are you, who does God say that you are, not, our, not what are the lies that you believe about yourself, but who does God say that you are. And so the last three weeks we did this much bigger uh, theological overview of what does it look like, how do you find, what do you find your identity in uh, when we look at things like our time and your resources and your abilities and experiences, uh, what do they point to? What do they tell you that you desire? What do they tell you that you spend a lot of time pursuing? And so now we are going to start getting into the much more application-driven aspect of that. And so tonight we are going to be talking about time. How do we now pursue holiness? How do we pursue Christ-likeness in our time? And I want to start off right away by saying this is not about a checklist. This isn't about getting a checklist done. Uh, I'm not going to map out for everybody what your week will look like this week down to the minute. Because there is still a lot that is going to come down to between you and God and what God is leading you to do. So it's not a matter of getting a checklist done. It's a matter of understanding where your heart is and what you are truly worshiping, what you are truly desiring. We keep going back and forth saying when it comes for money, it's not that you need a better calendar app, it's that we need to realign our hearts with God's and everything else will fall into place. When it comes to how we use our resources, our finances, it's not that you need a better budget, it's how are you aligning your heart with God's and valuing the kingdom as He tells us to and are we listening and obeying Him. When it comes to what do we do with the abilities and the gifts and the talents and how do we use these past experiences that God has allowed us to go through, how do we use those for His glory? It's not about what makes me look better, it's about how do I realign my heart with God so I use them in the way that He wants them to be used for His glory. And so now we are going to be going through the issue of time. How do we spend our time in a much more practical way. So again, I hope you've turned to Ephesians chapter 4. This is where we're going to be spending most of our time this evening. But what we're going to do over the next couple messages starting tonight is we're going to walk back through. Hopefully you've been getting those handouts that we've been handing out every uh, week. And at the end of each one, there's been three questions. What are you hearing from God? How are you being challenged? And what needs to happen for you to obey? So now we're going to take those three questions this week and the following two, and we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture saying, now, how do I apply this to my life? What is God actually telling me from His Word. So question number one, what are you hearing from God when it comes to pursuing holiness in your time? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, and I will more than likely be interrupting myself as we read. 
So let's pick it up in verse 17. Paul writes, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off, underline that because we're going to be talking about that a lot tonight, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, so to be made new, circle that, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, that idea of pursuing holiness, that idea of uh, craving righteousness as you would crave or as you would hunger and thirst for water and for Food, that is what we are created to do, is to pursue holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off, circle that, it's going to go hand in hand with put on, put on, put off. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Remembering last week what it is to be part of this local church, part of the bigger sea church as we represent the kingdom of God. We are all part of this body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. If you have young children, that's a phrase you probably are saying constantly (laughs) as you grit your teeth together. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. There's your identity. You are a child of God. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what are you hearing from God? I'll answer this one for you because it's in the notes and it'll make more sense. What are you hearing from God? We are hearing to put off and put on. How does this apply to this area of time that we are talking about? Well, he's saying in the way that you used to live, what you used to be a part of, what you have been saved from, what you have been redeemed from, if you're spending your time still doing those things, that might be what needs to be put off. Some of these things are are sinful things they shouldn't have in the first place, but other things are just this middle ground. And so we'll talk through a little bit more how do we prioritize what in our lives, but what are the things when it comes to managing our time? Because something that we are very good at and that there's an app for is adding more stuff. Like we love to add stuff 
to our time. The first time we talked through this, uh, this part of the series, we said, uh, we have this constant battle with busyness. We love inventions that help us manage our time better because we add more stuff to it. We are a big nation. We are a big people group of putting on. Like, I will just do more. I will sleep less. I will do whatever it takes. Uh, as we talked about, you are always sacrificing something for something. Uh, I will put off this on or I'll just keep putting on stuff. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And so here, what are we hearing from God? That there, in order for us to properly glorify God in our time, there is going to be something that needs to be put off as we start to examine what needs to be put on if we are actually using our time for God's glory. Question number two, how are you being challenged? Drop down to chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. It says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We go further back, it says, uh, let's go back to verse 8, actually. I don't have it on the slide. It says, for you were once in darkness, but ye, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the, first, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How are you being challenged in this passage? The challenge is to live as children of light. That actually has a giant blessing in it. That has a huge promise in it, because what are we told that God says? That Light has overcome the darkness. Darkness can't overcome light. If somebody came in here with a small box full of darkness and opened it up, it wouldn't put the lights out in here. But rather, the light would illuminate that small box of darkness. So that is how God operates. The light exposes the darkness. Why don't people like the light? Because it is exposing a dark area of their life. And then uh, this part where it says, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, uh, is thought to be part of a hymn that they would sing in the early church at this time. And it is a call to wake up. Wake up to what's going around you. That you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you have risen again and Christ will shine on you. The, the glory of who God is is now shining on you and you are reflecting and you are radiating that very light to the world around you, demonstrating who Christ is. So how are you being challenged? You're being challenged to live as children of light. And as we've been going through 1 Peter, what are you challenged to do? Live as a foreigner in this world, that now you are representing a different kingdom. You were once of the kingdom of this world, and the things that you lived for and wanted and desired were no different than anybody else. But now that you have come into the saving knowledge of who Jesus is, that your sins have been forgiven, that you are no longer afraid of death, that Jesus conquered all that, and when you walk into that relationship with him, you are now a child of light. Now you are to live in a different way. 
You are now a foreigner in this kingdom of earth because you are now representing the kingdom of heaven. So how are you being challenged? To live as a child of light. How does this, what does this mean for how you spend your time? That should mean your time now is spent differently than the world around you. That no matter what you are doing, where you live, learn, work, and play, how you are spending that time looks different because you are representing a different kingdom. You are now a child of light. And question number three, what needs to happen for you to obey? Uh, we've always, I put in parentheses on the handout, what do you need to say no to? In order, when you hear from God and God tells us through his word and he tells us when we spend time with him what it is that he wants for us, and then he will challenge us in a way to live, and here we are to live as children of light, and we can walk out of here going, that's what I need to do, live as children of light. And then we immediately get in our vehicles and we forget all about it. So what is the actual action step in order for us to obey? We're going to pick it up in verse 15 where we left off. Paul continues, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Stop there, end of 19. Here he is explaining this, what do you need to do in order to obey? That very first part in verse 15, be very careful then. Uh, an actual translation of that from the original language would be, measure your time wisely. Uh, plan out in accordance. Have you ever noticed that people that don't plan out anything have their time planned out for them whether they like it or not? Like, you might think, I can go to work whenever, and then at some point you're going to start thinking, I've got to find a new job. I lost that one. Why? Well, you never showed up. We all have things in our life that we don't like to control or we control too much. Here he's saying, be very careful then. In other words, plan accordingly. Plan out. Have a strategy. Know what you are doing. Be very careful then how you live. And then he makes this comparison, not as unwise, and we've seen Paul through this whole passage and what he does a lot in his books when he's talking about putting off and putting on. A lot of times he keeps mentioning or he keeps showing these two different uh, battles within us, not as wise, but as, or as wise, not as unwise. So an unwise person does not measure their time, does not plan, does not come up with a strategy. A wise person does. A wise person makes the most of every opportunity. Now, most versions actually do a better job um, translating that. And it is translated, redeem the time. So he's saying, make sure you are planning out carefully, as a wise person would, to redeem the time because the days are evil. This is really what I want your main focus to be this evening, is what does it mean to redeem the time? What does it mean to make the most of every opportunity to pursue holiness in everything that we are doing in our lives? That word redeem is actually a, a word that they used for slavery, that you would buy back a slave or a slave would buy their freedom, that he would be redeemed to what he once 
was or what they once were, the slavery at this time. And so here, when we hear the word redeemed, it is being bought back by Christ. When we have been redeemed, it means that we have made Jesus the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, and now we have been redeemed. We have been made whole again in the original intention that he had before sin entered the world. Uh, we talked about this as we saw him perform miracles, and he was going, and he was taking something that the world would see as uh, broken, but he knew what it was originally intended to be before sin entered the world, and he would make it whole again. He would redeem that back into what the kingdom of God will look like. And so he's saying, how do we use our time? Our time should be used to redeem it back for what its proper intention was before sin entered the world. That we would now make what uh, in Genesis, when he talks about Joseph and his brothers and what he did and said, what Satan meant for evil, God can use for good. So when we have these times in our lives that maybe we are using in different ways, how do we take that time or how do we take the time we are at work or how do we take the time where we have these responsibilities we can't get out of and how do we redeem that time back for the Lord? And so if our time was once used for us to live in the way of the world uh, or for if we're using our time for worldly approval, how do we redeem these things for God's glory is? And then he says, therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. What does a wise person do? They seek out what is God's will in this. Somebody who doesn't care, biblically, is called foolish. So how do you live in a way where you are seeking out God's will? Now, working on college campuses, that was a big question. People were like, man, if I only knew what God's will was for my life. I was like, there's so many spots in the Bible that tell you. Like, stop doing what you're doing, basically. God will reveal in time, but just look at what he does say this is what God's will is and, and live that way, and I promise God will continue to show you what he has for you. So do you know what God's will is for your life? Do you know what God's will is, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that we should live as children of light? Do you understand uh, how to prioritize your life every day and weekly and monthly in a way that is knowing that you are following after God. And he says, uh, then he makes, this, um, he makes this comparison, and he uses doing, being drunk on wine, uh, which leads to debauchery. Now, drunkenness and debauchery go hand in hand, and the Greek words are used interchangeably in Scripture, uh, and it basically means wasting your life. There's nothing really good. Uh, again, I worked on college campuses, and uh, I've never heard anyone say, oh, I got so drunk last night and made the best decision of my life. <laughs> I have still yet to hear that phrase, and I've spent almost my entire life living near a college campus or working on one. Not that college students are the only ones that drink, by the way. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Why? It's a wasted life. Debauchery is just, what are you doing in so excess that it is just nothing but wastedness? And so he's making this comparison, and uh, if you've ever seen anybody under the influence of anything, you know that it's a different person. Uh, I had this really crazy job. I worked on the road for six months. It's a long story. Traveled all over the, the country, uh, and I worked with a guy, and when he would get, like, really intoxicated, he would be like, Rob, you talk too much. You're always telling all these stories, or, you know, blah, blah, and he'd tell me all this stuff, and I would say, all right, man, let's, you've had enough 
And then the next morning, he's like, hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean what I said last night. I was like, no, you, you actually meant exactly what, what you said. You're normally a really nice guy. Last night, you were really mean, but at least you were telling me. Like, it's, it's not, by the way, it's not surprising that I talk a lot. Like, that's not a, a shocking factor to me. It's, it's not surprising that I tell a lot of stories, these things I've been told. Uh, I have a story about it. No, they, so it's not like it's a shocking thing for me, but this is who you are, is you are this kind person who loves helping people, but when you're intoxicated, you're, you're just mean, like really mean. But that's who you actually are at your, at your core, and what he's telling us is when we are now living in a way of, of not being controlled by the Holy Spirit and our characteristics are not lining up with how God asks us to live, it's the same as now we are being controlled by another spirit. So you're either being controlled by the Holy Spirit, and when you're being controlled by the Holy Spirit, your life will look like you are living as a child of light. Your life will look like that you are pursuing holiness, that you're pursuing righteousness. Your life will just look differently than someone who is allowing whatever spirit it is, the spirit of the world, the spirit of alcohol, the spirit, name it, that spirit will make your life look differently. So he's saying, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let it have such control over you that you can't fight back against it like somebody doesn't have the ability to act sober when they're intoxicated. So your life is evidence, and we've said this uh, several times through the series, your life is evidence of what truly controls you. Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the world? Then verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is going to be a play a very, very major role as we walk through the rest of this series. Why? We must live in thankfulness. The difference between somebody who lives in thankfulness and somebody who does not is surprisingly big. Um, this is going to be the big picture of every area we have talked about because it starts with our hearts. It starts with a heart of thankfulness. Um, there was a, I was at a church in Indianapolis, and every time I think of this, this is exactly where my brain goes. And there was just this an amazing man there. He was this older gentleman, probably in his late 70s, and uh, he just never stopped smiling. Like, never stopped smiling, was so happy, always sincerely wanted to know how you were doing, how he could pray for you. Um, if he heard something had gone wrong, I remember at one point I had a vehicle and it broke down and I was completely out of money and I told somebody and somehow he got wind of it and he just came up and handed me money to fix my car. And I was like, you don't have to do that. And he goes, yes, I do. God told me to. Don't tell me I can't do that. I said, yes, sir. Like, it was a very surprising reaction. But he would be there to mow the lawn. I remember they were trying to find somebody to teach the teens, and he said he would. Um, and then he started crying, and this is one of the reasons why I ended up teaching the teens there. Um, and I was like, are you okay? He goes, I hate teaching teens. I was like, why'd you volunteer? He goes, nobody else would do it. And, but he just was also so happy all the time. And I remember saying to another man who was like a second father to me at this church, and I remember saying, man, he is always so happy. And just real seriously, Mark looked at me and said, well, that's what thankfulness looks like. Like He spent so much of his life not living for God that every day he is amazed that God loves him that much. So he's willing to do whatever. He walks around as happy as can possibly be. Why? Because he's so thankful. He knows who he is and he's so thankful for who God is. 
that nothing's too big. That was crushingly convicting to a 24-year-old who thought they knew everything at the time. So what is your attitude towards God? Is he a bother to you? Is he a nuisance to you? Does he not understand your life? Or do you view him as this loving, creative entity, this God so big we can't accurately describe him in human terms, who loves you so much that he sent his perfect son to earth to die for your sins, all of them, so that you, and this is where when we start with the heart of thankfulness, we have what we call gospel-centered humility. We have a gospel-centered self-awareness, going back to Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, of this is what it looks like to be low in spirit, is that you are understanding who you are and that you are understanding who God is that you are starting to understand just this big picture of God and how much he loves you. And we should start off every time we get a chance. I used to say in the morning, but now I realize I have to do it all the time or else I get a big head. I have to start off constantly going back to understanding who I am in light of who God is and falling on my face thanking God that he can use a sinner like me. And then when I start to really focus on, on how thankful I am and and spending time thanking him for who he is, it changes my entire outlook on life. So what is your attitude towards God? Another question, how do you view yourself? I remember I was at a a friend of mine teaches a a seminar. It's really great. I don't have time to get into it. But he would start off by saying, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, how good of a person are you? Close your eyes, and on a scale of 1 to 10, how good of a person are you? So I did. I closed, everyone had to close their eyes, and he gave you like two or three minutes, like awkwardly long time to think about how awesome you are. And I came up with a pretty good number. I figured, ah, I'm like a seven. Like, I've worked in prisons. I've worked in rehab centers. I've worked in some pretty rough places. I'm a pretty good dude. So I gave myself like a seven. And then he goes, okay, now we're going to stop, and we're going to think about how awesome God is. Just close your eyes and just think about all that God's done for you. You start like reading different passages and reading different passages. So he's like, obviously, there's nothing greater than God. Now let's go back and ask on a scale of 1 to 100, and you, compared to who Jesus is, let's go back and on a scale, I'm going to give you a bigger scale, 1 to 100, how good are you? Well, it's like negative 7. I can't compare to that. I can't even be on the same scale of who Jesus is. And then he went back and said, now on a scale of 1 to 10, (laughs) let's go back to the original exercise. Well, 7 changed drastically. That plummeted. So how do you view yourself in light of who God is? How is your self-awareness level? Like, how do you actually, like, are you able to understand uh, your surroundings? Are you able to understand who God is and who you are? Because that will always show in your attitude of thankfulness. So this is just the background. Now we get into the application part of this. How do we prioritize our lives? How do we have a gospel-centered way of prioritizing our lives? Hopefully, this first thing I'm going to say doesn't shock you, because we've been going over it and over it and over it. The number one thing that should, and it's not even, and please get away from numbering stuff. I was trying to think of a good graphic to use in this, because I've heard it said, like, well, first it's this, and then second it's this, but I really don't think it is. I think it's this big picture, uh, and the first thing that is all-consuming and should control every other part of our lives is how do we pursue righteousness? How do we pursue holiness? 
How do we crave, like a baby craving pure milk, how do we crave God? How do we crave holiness? How do we crave righteousness? How do we hunger and thirst for righteousness that so much that it actually starts to be the filter that everything we do in our life runs through? Uh, One pastor said, Christ doesn't just want to be an app on your operating system. He is the new operating system altogether. It's not an addition to. It's not, well, I also have to add to my already very busy schedule pursuing Christ-likeness. That is the blanket statement over everything else. Uh, Matt Perman, uh, who's written several fantastic books, can't recognize them enough, uh, What's Best Next, and another one, Getting Unstuck, He said, Christ, in his book, Unstuck, he said, Getting Unstuck, Christ should not be just one component among many in our lives. He ought to be the center from which everything else flows because he is Lord of all. So how do we pursue righteousness? I'm going to give you just a couple things. This is not an all-inclusive list, but if you start there, you'll be busy the rest of your lives. Number one, and this is, again, this is the things I'm going to explain, is we have to have time alone with God to communicate with Him. Time alone with God to communicate with Him. How do we do this? Bible reading. Plain and simple, yet so easy to put off. Bible reading. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, Spend time in prayer and meditation. When's the last time you really walked through Psalm 119 and made those prayers from David your prayers? Teach me your statutes, God. Teach me your statutes. Teach me over and over and over again. Teach me who you are. Teach me your statutes. And then hearing from God. Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit like a drunk person is controlled by alcohol? So that your first response is what God wants you to do because of your time spent with Him. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. This small little verse, but so powerful. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. We are experts at quenching the Holy Spirit because we constantly are adding stuff that don't appear bad in general, not realizing that we are eating up time that we could spend from hearing from God. And then here's something new for me. It's mentioned all through the Bible, starting from the very beginning. In fact, the first person that did this was God. He took a day of rest. He created the world in six. He rested the seventh. Throughout the entire Old Testament, there was a high priority placed on taking Sabbath. But then we get to the New Testament in the Gospels, and there's a high priority placed on Sabbath. And then we get into the rest of the letters, and there's a high priority placed on spending time with God as you pursue righteousness. Now we get to 2023, and that's a ridiculous thought. We just don't have time for it. And uh, I told you I'm going to be really personal in this series. A couple months ago, my wife said, Rob, we really need to start, like, actually taking a Sabbath. And I was like, yes. I also wish we had time to do that. <laughs> and Tab started reading, and I would love to say, like, I'm such an awesome, godly leader of my home. This was all Tab, because, again, and I, at one point, kiddingly, half kiddingly said, Tab, I understand Sabbath is important. Like, I'm a pastor. 
I preach that time is important to spend alone with God. I just don't need to. I'm above everyone else. Like, and it's not really that funny when you stop and think about it. So we quote verses like Psalm 46.10, right? Like, be still and know that I am God. Um, well, I have to tell a story. I remember I was uh, working at a college campus. It was the first time I was there. Or I, first time I was there and I wasn't taking any classes, but everybody else on this college campus way up in the mountains where there's nothing else, it's the Adirondacks, Ryan, if you ever heard of it. And so we had, um, there's just nothing going on. All students are like in required study hours and all staff for the most part is married with kids and I'm a single guy and so I went over to my friend, uh, there's two other single guys I'm really good friends with and knocking the door and my friend Mike's there um, and I was like, hey man, let's go up to the weight room. And he like looks at me and he's like, Rob? When's the last time you were still and spent time with God? Like, I need to spend time with God, but Rob, you live such a busy life. Like, you were just always doing something, always doing something. When is the last time you were just still and heard from God? And it was crushingly convicting. And I remember walking up to the campus way room um, just going, like, I lived in this beautiful, I was right on the lake, uh, those beautiful mountains, I mean, it was just this picturesque scene that I had taken for granted for so long of what does it actually look like just to sit still and spend time with God? So I went up, and I'm the only one in the way room, and thinking about it, and it's bothering me, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to go tell Mike, like, how powerful those words were to me, and then I'm just going to go back to my cabin on the lake and spend time with God. So I walk up to Mike's house and knock on the door, and I'm immediately infuriated. He's sitting on the couch watching their massive television eating chips. And I was like, Mike, what are you doing, man? Like, you just convicted me. He said, I said I'd spend time with a God. I didn't say which one. So as funny as it was, it was also very, like, crushing, because it is. We are spending time with a God. We might not like to see it, but what is the God that you are spending time with? What does it actually mean to Stop. So four things, we're going to be actually talking about Sabbath, we're going to be talking about sabbaticals uh, as we go through the rest of the next couple chapters of Matthew, but four things when you start to take Sabbath. So again, Tab and I start doing this, and it is really difficult, and I will be very upfront honest with you, it is not easy, and I fail at it regularly. But four things to remember in Sabbath, stop, rest, worship, and delight. Stop, rest, worship, and delight. So tonight, uh, Tab and I, when we finally get home, uh, this is just us, it's not like, we just light two candles as a way of like thinking about Sabbath. We read a psalm, we pray, and then Sabbath begins. For us, and again, everyone's different, however you do it, but I cannot encourage you enough to start implementing this as a part of your life. And I know right now you're thinking the same thing that I did two months ago. That sounds neat. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, we don't do dishes. We use paper plates and plastic silverware, and it gets thrown out. We don't go to the store because part of Sabbath is not making other people work for you as well. Uh, I don't clean up the house. I don't rake leaves. I don't do all of these things. We actually just stop. We spend time together. We go to the park as a family. We go for a walk. We, uh, part of it is also delight. You know what I really delight in doing? watching football. So a big part of Sabbath for me was watching football, and I delight in hanging out with different friends. So people would stop by in uh, this last couple months and would watch football with me. Uh, we take time to actually worship God. We take time to be still. We, uh, it becomes 
uh, we have time to rest. Um, I'm always so busy that sleep is something I have no problem sacrificing. And so what does it mean to actually just chill out and celebrate God and be able to take a pause? And the first thing you think of is, but I have so much to do. You'll be amazed at how you start to find other times to do it like you would with so many other things in life. This is all just a side note, by the way. But I can't encourage you enough to actually start implementing what does Sabbath look like for you and your family. How do you take a Sabbath? So these are all things that we see through scriptures of what it is to pursue righteousness, and that is the blanket statement. This brings us now to what I'm just calling your kingdom responsibilities. What are your kingdom responsibilities? Again, these are these different lenses, these are these different filters that when it comes time to how you spend your time, these are the things that you should be running them through. Uh, I want to be very clear, these are not a checklist. Uh, This is what I would call, this is a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. Your life changes drastically quickly. You have another kid. You get married. You, uh, things happen regularly in your life, and so these are just things that you have to continually manage. These are the things going back to uh, verse uh, 19, or I'm sorry, 15, where it's be very careful then how you live. It's a constant adjustment, so please understand that. This is not a checklist for you. The goal is to be able to adjust accordingly to where your life is so that these things take a priority. For, uh, after the over-blanket statement, again, these are not numbered on purpose because they are all important. It's a matter of figuring out how to balance them correctly for you and the people that you're responsible to God for. So number one, family. This is a kingdom responsibility. If you are married, one of your kingdom responsibilities is making sure that your family is in a healthy place. If you are not married and don't have kids, 1 Corinthians 7, write these passages down because you're going to be like, that's a lie and I'm not doing it. If you are single, and I was, I spent 13 years living on my own before I got married, uh, and this was something that I really uh, studied and was convicted on, the number one priority for you single people is your local church to be operating. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, you are free to please the Lord and serve as part of the body without these other responsibilities. So enjoy it. Now he also says if you want to get married, go get married. But this is what you also should be doing. So again, kingdom responsibilities, family, if no family, jump right to number two. Again, don't number it. These aren't numbered. Local church. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially as you see the day approaching. He also says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Um, unfortunately, I have seen these battle each other. I have had people say, listen, I was really convicted. I need to spend more time with my family, so we won't be at church for a couple weeks or months or years. It's like, that's not how it works. That's that managing responsibilities. If you need less time at church to make sure your family relationship is pleasing God with those responsibilities, we will work through that. Uh, We've had uh, different people come to church here, and the first thing we tell them is, no, you need a break. You need to fall back in love with the church. You need to focus on your family. You need to do these different aspects. That doesn't mean never come. It means make sure you're coming at appropriate, that you're still involved in uh, Saturday night, that you're involved in community groups, these different areas, but we will work accordingly with you to make sure you are in a healthy 
area. And then on the flip side, and I wish I was joking when I say this, I have talked to missionaries and pastors who really felt their family was holding them back from better serving the Lord and were willing to leave them. And trying to convince somebody who knows the Bible really well that that is not in fact what God is saying is harder than you would think. And it's really sad and crushing. Those were people that were doing it willingly, but the amount of people who want to serve the church so much more at the expense of their family without realizing it is even higher. So again, this is a tension to manage. This is why you have to be self-aware. This is why you need people around you who will point these things out to you. And then the uh, last area of these uh, tensions to manage is you being a missionary disciple or an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And this is you being an ambassador of the kingdom where you live, learn, work, and play. This covers everything. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58 is just one of the passages that you could talk through this. Paul writes, but thanks be to God. This is an incredible promise, by the way. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves to making other people happy. Nope, my bad. Always give yourselves enough time to fully explore social media to its nth degree every day. Sorry, always give yourselves into binging the latest show on whatever streaming. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That filter, what are you doing things? Are they serving an eternal purpose or are they just things done in vain? That covers everything. That part about being a missionary disciple, that includes at your home, that includes at church, but again, that includes everywhere where you live, learn, work, and play. That's how you redeem the time as you are pointing everyone in those different areas back towards Christ in every area of your life. These are your kingdom responsibilities. As long as you are running, whatever else comes into your life through these filters, uh, that will start to guide you how you are carefully setting up your time to be used as you pursue holiness. So how to win the battle of busyness. Here we go. These are what we just covered in a much quicker way. Number one, it starts with thankfulness. If you want to beat the battle of busyness, it starts with a thankful heart, a thankful heart that is focused on who God is and who you are, that is focused on why you were created the way you are and how you do that is a thankful attitude back towards God. I love Psalm 51 because sometimes when I'm here, I have to stop, and I started singing this song every night with my kids when they go to bed uh, from Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. I have to sing that every day every day I mess up. Create in me a clean heart. Uh, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. When someone is newly saved, especially as an adult, they're the happiest people in the world. When you've been saved for a period of time, it starts to almost, you become callous to it. So that prayer from Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, that I would see the world as all your your mercies are new every morning in my life. Number two, Seek opportunities to redeem the time. Redeem the time. You know what you're doing every day. Are you praying it through with God and saying, help me to redeem the time. Help me to bring back these things for your glory. Number three, 
Live as children of light. Going back to our first Peter passage, live as a foreigner in a strange new world. When you start to live with that filter in mind that you are representing the kingdom of God, that his light radiates off of you, that you are just a reflection of his glory and his goodness and his kindness, uh, now we can live as children of light, that we are foreigners, that we are ambassadors representing God's kingdom here on earth. And then back to the first point, number four, put off, put on. Put off, put on. Understand, some stuff has to go. Some stuff has to go in order to introduce healthier living. Hopefully you got a handout that we handed out there on the back table. If you did not, please make sure to get one before you go. And this is what we want you to work through this week. This is what we want uh, to be going through in community groups, go through it as a household. And this will hopefully help you start to understand what things are we doing in vain and what things are important. Uh, when you're having trouble finding 10 or 15 minutes a day to spend time in God's Word, surely there is something else you're doing for 15 minutes that can be put aside. Uh, I've had people um, they say, I'd love to come out to your church, but I already go to church on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, you would never watch two episodes of The Office back to back. That's ridiculous on a streaming device, right? Like, who does that? Who would watch two episodes of something? Especially church. Anyways, I digress. There is... Um, the Bible calls us sheep all the time. We're constantly referred to as sheep. And you've heard me probably say this before, but it's because we're idiots. Sheep are idiots. They're so stupid. If you've ever spent any time with sheep, you'll know they're just so dumb. There's an illustration of sheep um, that when you study shepherding and shepherds, uh, the shepherd has to be so aware of what his sheep are eating because sheep will eat anything. Um, so the shepherd is constantly having to know what is the best grass for them, what grass will give them the nutrients they need to live, uh, what grass is going to help them. Uh, eating is going to help their wool, it's going to help them overall. They, they need the certain type of grass. Sheep also love apples. Um, they will eat as many apples as you can possibly give to them. Apples aren't really great for sheep. Um, it's like, for you and I, it's chocolate cake. Like, there quite possibly could be some nutrients in there, but like, we should probably be careful with how much chocolate cake we're eating on a daily basis. And that's how apples are to sheep. Um, they can eat them. If they eat too many of them, they'll get really sick. There's very low nutritional value for a sheep with an apple. Then there's rhubarb. Rhubarb will straight up kill a sheep. It is nothing but poison to a sheep. They will die if they eat rhubarb. So the shepherd has to constantly be watching what his sheep are eating. You and I are very similar in this way. When it comes to how we are spending our time, there are ways that are nutritional, there are ways that are valuable, there are ways that will last for eternity with eternal rewards. There's also stuff in our daily life that is just straight-up poison. It is blatantly sinful to do that. That is rhubarb to us. That will straight kill us. 
The problem that we have is there are, are so many apples for us in life. They're not necessarily bad, but the nutritional value is terrible. The nutritional value isn't there. And when we come to start to evaluating our time, so often we are spending our life chasing after another apple, chasing after another apple, that we are no longer paying attention to what is nutritious and what lasts for eternity because we are so interested on the next apple. We know not to eat rhubarb. That stuff's terrible. That'll kill us. But give me another apple. We'll always find room for another apple. We'll always chase after another apple. And so part of this filtration process for you is to figure out what's of nutritional value. Most of you here, I know, understand bad stuff and not to do it. That's not going to come as a shock to you. The the hard part is separating the apples from the nutritional grass. So as you evaluate, as you go through this handout, ask yourself, what is going to last for eternity and what is not? What am I doing in vain? What am I doing for God's glory? Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the time that we have together to be able to look at what you have for us. Lord, I pray that as we go through our lives, that as we, uh, hopefully, Lord, even tonight, that we would be able to properly evaluate how we are spending our time, that we would put it through the filters that you give us in your word. Lord, I pray that we would do all things for your glory, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.